0: Chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16, as you're finding your seat, I don't care if it's a physical Bible or an app on your phone or tablet or whatever it may be. I want you to look with me. Kids, you are dismissed. Looks like you guys know your drill anyway. You guys can go do your thing. We love you. We'll see you later. 1 Corinthians 16, we're going to finish this book today. Can y'all believe we've been in this a year? We've been in this since last January. We've been walking through this, this series in First Corinthians with the exception of a few weeks where we sort of pause to address, you know, the many cultural happenings of 2020. Um, we have been in this, um, this book, so somewhere between 40 and 50 sermons. I don't know. I'm going to count them this week. I'm going to do kind of a review on Facebook and, and, I don't know, I'd invite you guys to kind of share... Uh, some of your favorite parts or some of the things that the Lord did through this series. But we have covered a ton because Paul covered a ton. And today uh, we're going to look at how he wraps it up um, And so, man, he's covered all sorts of things from division and leadership and doctrine issues and spiritual uh, gifts and relational tension, sexual immorality, loving one another, and so much more. Over and over, we call it issues because he would literally go, now concerning this and now concerning that now about this. And he was walking through issue after issue after issue. And as he concludes this incredibly pastoral and incredibly practical and helpful letter, to a church that he loves dearly. Remember, this is written to a a group of people, a church, a local church. Um, As he wraps this up, he's going to bring into focus something that's been implicit throughout the the whole book and sort of kind of subtly weaved in and out, but he's going to to make it explicit and begin to um, tie a whole bunch of this together with one big idea, and here it is. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us, right? That, that that is true personally, right? That our life goes to all kinds of mess whenever we get self-absorbed and self-focused and, and start thinking about what do I need and, and we forget about other people. That's why Rick Warren's uh, most, one of the most popular books of all time is The Purpose-Driven Life starts out with that very declaration, it's not about you. Why? Because if we're going to have any hope at continued uh, joy and contentment, we have to have a purpose that is bigger than ourselves. We have to have something that we're living for that is beyond ourself. And the same is true, not just for individuals, but also for churches. That for a church to continue its mission, to make an impact, and to not lose sight, to not get uh, off course and caught up in, in division and um, lose its momentum or get divided and have a split because they're fighting about something else or just die because they, they don't care about a vision. In order for that to happen, in order for a church to continue in its effectiveness and to make a kingdom impact, we too, as a church, have to be reminded that it is not about us, that there is a kingdom to be building, a kingdom mindset that we are a part of, right? The moment we begin to think about our preferences, our wants, our desires, what do I think, what do I want, what's best for me, what's my pick, all of those things, that's whenever things get really messy really quickly and things go wrong. So Paul is going to remind them of this. and you might say, well, I don't know, does he actually say that in chapter 16? Well, it's, those words are, are all throughout this. So we're going to look at several lessons, uh, several principles that we can draw out from this passage. So I'm going to invite you to read it with me. And we're going to read uh, most of 16. We're going to start in 5 and go all the way to the end. And I'm going to have the map up on the, uh, on the screen in the back that has um, the, the area, the, the region, the, the world at this time. And you're going to hear Paul reference a lot of this. And I want you to begin to just get a physical um, visual of where Paul has been, where he's going, and, and what the kingdom looks like as it's expanding in this very real-time first century. And so let's read uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 5. We'll read all the way down. I will visit you, he says, after passing through Macedonia. So remember, this is a church that Paul planted, uh, and, and he spent about a year and a half planting the church, and then he went on to plant other churches. So he is at Ephesus right now, writing this letter to them, uh, and he has plans to, to travel elsewhere. He says, I'll, I'm going to come back to you, though. He would make visits, and, and you know, he'd go plant other churches, and he would loop back around and visit the churches that he planted. He says, so listen, I'm coming to you, and I, I plan on visiting you after I pass through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't, I don't want to just see you in passing, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way that he may return to me for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will or the Lord's will for him to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. In the verse we preached last week, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and that they were devoted, or they have devoted themselves to the service of the saint, saints, so be subject to these, to such as these, and to every follow, fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acha- Achaicus, and because they've all made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. So give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla. Together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you, or be with you all, in Christ Jesus, amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help. We ask that you would help us to get our our eyes lifted above our own agendas, our own lives, and that we would um, be caught up in the glory of your kingdom and your salvation and the purpose of your church and the role that you've called each of us to play in it. Lord, would you use this time to uh, advance your kingdom as you see fit? That you would shape and mold us as the Journey Church into a kingdom-minded church even more than we already are. That you would shape and mold individuals in, uh, in, this, in this place and listening online, Lord, into a place of, of kingdom-mindedness. Lord, not so that we could say, look at us and look at the growth we've done. No, no. But so that we can tell more and more people, look at Jesus, for therein lies salvation. Would you help us to be that sort of people, impassioned and on fire for you and for your gospel? Would you help us, Jesus? We ask it and hope it as we approach this is your word. We confess that and we submit to it and we ask for your help in it. It's in your name we pray. Now. Amen. All right, so let's walk through this. We're going to draw out a few principles, each of which could be a sermon in and of themselves. I'll try not to do that to you, though. We'll try to move pretty quickly through them. But a few principles that we see about being kingdom-minded. That's that's the big idea for for Paul as he's wrapping this up. He's really commanding, reminding, encouraging, and exhorting his church to be kingdom-minded minded, to not get narrowly focused on themselves, but rather to be kingdom minded. And you might think, well, of course, that's Paul. He's a missionary. He's like, Of course, that's what he's going to talk about. But do I really need to care about that, right? Is that for me or is that just for the missionaries or just for the the preachers and the pastors or whatever? But, But really, what I want us to know and what I want us to leave here is knowing that it is our responsibility collectively as a church, not just a missionary organization, not just church planning organizations here in the States, not just the the staff that's here at our church, but rather us collectively, it is our responsibility to advance the kingdom of God to where it does not exist, to push back the darkness and to win more souls for his name. And and that plays itself out in a variety of ways, but nonetheless, we cannot reduce it beyond the fact that it is our job. And so that's our hope is that as we blow through this, that that the Lord would use this passage to make us indeed a kingdom-minded people. So as we look at verse 5, we see, first of all, that Paul is saying, Hey, I'm going to visit you after I come through Macedonia, and I intend to pass through Macedonia. Let's get that map back up, Manny. I- and perhaps I'll stay with you and even spend the winter so that you may help me in my journey wherever I go. So he is somewhere called Ephesus right now, planning that church. And it is things are crazy in Ephesus. And that's a whole other sermon for another day. But you should study that. Um, the whole economy has been turned upside down by the gospel. It's awesome. But people are angry and they're coming at Paul hardcore. So he's saying, hey, the Lord's doing some awesome work. i got to stay here for a while, at least till Pentecost. And then I'm going to go on elsewhere. I'm headed to you, but I'm going to go through Macedonia. Go to that bigger, go to that other map. It gives a little more zoomed in there, Manny. But so you you see you begin to see that Paul is not just like going over to Carterville and then Carbondale. Paul is is hauling his butt all around the known world of that day to spread the gospel and to plant churches. And so we see. That Paul has this passion, and, and he assumes that they're on board, that they're a part of it. If you remember a uh, couple weeks ago when we looked at the first part of 16, he was uh, inviting them to t- uh, give of their money to resource the church back in Israel. That Part of what Paul is doing is reminding this church that, hey, that you're part of something bigger than yourself, and the kingdom is being advanced all around you, and you get to play a part of that. And so Paul is going to continue to plant churches, but he's going to stop in Love on them, answer their questions, pastor them, but also be encouraged by them, right? They're going to put him up for the winter, he hopes, and he'll stay there. And then they're going to send him on wherever he goes next. And so one of the things we see from, from um, verses 5 and 6 is that it is the church's responsibility. It is the church's job to reach the nation's. Then we know from Matthew 28 and we referenced it in our in our candle lighting that Matthew ends it comes with a, it starts with an invitation to come and see it ends with a, with a command to go and tell right and that that go and tell command is called the great commission we know it from Matthew 28 and Jesus says all authority all authority has been given to me right why because he conquered our greatest enemy he has conquered the grave and death and now he is the ruler and and his all authority is given to him and he says therefore go Therefore, go and tell all the nations the good news of the gospel and teach them to obey all the things that I have taught you. That's the Great Commission. That's what we're called to. That's our purpose. You boil it all down, what's the church here for? It's for that, to tell all nations, all peoples about Jesus and to to teach teach them to follow him. And so what, what does that look like? Well, it looks like people actually going to tell those people, right? Romans talks about like, how, how are they going to know if somebody doesn't go and preach to them? And how will they go and preach unless they're sent? And how will they preach or how will they be sent unless they're called? And so what happens is the church, local churches like you and I, like like ours here send missionaries to other places, send missionaries to foreign countries. And so, we, but what we, what we have in today's world is we have a bunch of organizations like the International Mission Board and like the EFCA that, that Diamond, we're going to look at in just a moment, is, is a part of, we have these organizations that are sponsored and, and funded by, you know, um, um, denominations at times and other groups. And, and so we sort of abdicate our responsibility to them. Listen, they have an important and a crucial role in, in facilitating and training up those missionaries that go, right? They have a huge role, something that we as each church could not do nearly as well as those organizations do. However, we must not abdicate our responsibility to them and just expect that, oh, well, they're doing the mission work. No, 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 it comes from within us. Here's the the deal. It's fun to trace this all the way back. I want you to think about how the gospel got from Jerusalem to you. Do you think about that? Think about from Jesus' resurrection their early church where the Spirit lit the flame, I love that verse, I love that passage, right? Whenever Pentecost, he breathes the Spirit onto the church, and it, and it begins to spread. Well, how to get from there to you? Well, here's the deal. Some missionary, and then some other missionary, and then some other missionary, and then some other missionary. You know what was behind all those missionaries? Churches sending those missionaries. Right? Well, here's the deal, church. There's still people that haven't heard of Jesus, like lots of them. Like it's staggering to realize that there's parts of the world that, that when you go and ask them, do you know Jesus? They don't, they've never heard the name. They've never heard the name. Listen, Jesus has called a shot. He says, I'm going for those people. I will get them. There will be people from those people at my throne at the end. Church go get them. That's what he's asking us to do. That's what he's inviting us to do. Listen, that's how Paul and Barnabas got sent on these journeys. That other map had those, you know, those, those tracks in your Bible, you'll see Paul's missionary journeys in your maps. Listen, they were sent. If you look at Acts 13 too, I think we got it on the screen. You see that a church just like yours and just like ours, right? They were worshiping, they were fasting, they were seeking the spirit. And in the midst of that, it says that the Holy Spirit showed up and said, Hey, set apart for me, Barnabas and saw for the work to which I've called them and then after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and sent them off so so that's that's how this primary missionary movement got started and praise be to God that Paul went and that church sent and then he planted other sending churches other church planting churches that sent other missionaries and eventually it came around you should study church history you should study the the movement of the of the gospel from that point into it's it's an incredibly encouraging and amazing thing it will make you make you like fiercely excited whenever we sing verses like that in king of kings right that that in then the church of christ was born and the spirit lit the flame and now this gospel truth of old will not kneel shall not faint amen like it is the church like the gates of hell church listen will not prevail it will not like the church is going to win it is going to advance jesus will get his people well, that's, that's our responsibility. That's, we get to play a role in that. So he may pull people out of our congregation just like he did Paul and Barnabas and others to go to the nations. In fact, in many ways, he already has. So we're going we're gonna to check in. Many of you know Diamond, uh, and she kind of came to us. She was already headed to Germany, but she, man, she bonded with our church. She plugged in here. She is our. She's our girl. She is our missionary. And so she has been in Berlin for a year and a half now, and I asked her to send a video just to check in. And so let's watch just a, just a, a couple minutes of, of Diamond kind of sharing an update, and then we'll talk about uh, how you can kind of touch base with her and, and support
1: her. Well, hello, Journey family. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you guys are surviving or thriving or trying to thrive because 2020 did not come to play. If you guys do not know who I am, or anyone in there in the audience, yeah, my name is Diamond. I am actually also part of the Journey family. I have been living in Berlin for a year and a half now as a missionary. Working with youth ministry. So looking back on (laughs) a year and a half and then to now has been a major difference and God has been so good. Like I came here all quiet and like not knowing what to do unsure of myself but like excited but like not knowing like not sure of like if I should like come out of my shell if I should like what I'm going to do like what is going to happen within this next year and a half. And here I am loud as ever pursuing like creative stuff, more fashion actually. And it's been really cool. And I've been really being able to connect with my students here at the church. And they finally trusted me enough. Back in November, they came over and we had a girls' night. Um, We had movies and snacks. And so that was fun. And so I've recently also been getting really into uh, being around photographers here, like getting really into that niche. Um, because no one on the team is doing that and I've been styling photo shoots. I've been part of those and meeting really cool people and that has been really interesting and God has really blessed that and I'm also really happy and excited because styling is actually what I want to do and so the Lord is allowing me to use that as ministry as well. Um, I also go to a dance studio every week and meeting people there. That's been fun and yeah, it actually, um, I have a small story, <laughs> story time. So last month I actually went to be a part of this project. It's called Black in Berlin. And basically it's this guy who's from Ethiopia and he takes photos of people who are, of, who are Black, who are living in Berlin to show that we're all different and that we all come from different places and stuff. And so I found this project, I emailed him, I was like, Hey, I would love to be a part of this project. And so he was like, cool, like, let's, let's do this on Monday or whatever. So I went out on Monday and it was really cool. So he was asking me all these questions. He was asking like, why are you here? What are you doing? And I can't just be like, yeah, I'm a missionary because you need Jesus. Like that, you can't do that. Um, So he was asking me all these questions. And at one point we got to my childhood and I was like, yeah, I actually didn't, really liked the fact that I was black. I didn't like the way that I looked. I didn't like my skin. And I just went into this deep, like, why? And he was like, well, how did you get out of that? Like, what brought you out of that? And I felt it. I was like, oh, it's the perfect time to be like, Jesus. So I slid it in, you know? And so I told him, like, it was all Jesus. Like, I could not, I just, I couldn't do it myself. And so I was able to slide in a little bit of the gospel, you know, because I don't want to, like, you know, do too much. And then he was like, how does one find Jesus? And it was crazy that he asked me this question because in the beginning, he made it so clear that he did not believe in Jesus, which was wild because I didn't even bring it up yet. And he was like, I do not believe in God. Nah. And then he asked, like, how does one believe in God? How does one find God? And I simply said, like, he's already found you. He's just waiting. And it was like, <sighs> And this is such a great moment because I was able to share Jesus. like, And it's a great feeling to be able to do that, especially in a culture that really lacks him. So that's my little story time. I hope you guys have a great week, have a great day, have a great afternoon. You can catch me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, I'm alive and well. I also send newsletters, so that's cool too. And yeah, guys, keep grinding, keep going, and I'll see you in August of 2021.
0: Well, hello. All right. So those of you that know her, you, you you love the the spunk, and but it's just cool to see God using her, and we do uh, have. Uh, an older newsletter from her, we'll get the one updated, the most recent she sent out on the, on the board out there. But on your app, actually, if you go to your app on the home screen, there's Diamond's Face there. You can click on that, and there, are, there is uh, her email, there's her Facebook group there that you can uh, connect with her. I would encourage you to uh, reach out to her. Uh, just send her a, an encouraging email, a support. Our church does support her, not a ton, a couple hundred bucks a month, but uh, that, that comes from your tithe money, And, and but we would love, uh, you know, there, there's, there's plenty of opportunities to come alongside and wrap around the work that God is doing there. And so I'd encourage you just to, if nothing else, man, send her a letter, let her know you're praying for, and then, but actually pray for her. It. Like, it would be super encouraging to her to just pray for her. So uh, what, a couple of things I want to make note of out of that. Because here's the here's the point that I want you to know is that, that God may send call any of you to send you much like Diamond. But you might have heard her being like, well, she just telling us like normal like, why do I care that she's going to a dance studio or why do I are we paying are we supporting her to go over there and you know uh, and do like photo shoots and and here's part of it like well first of all she's working with a local church and student ministry and so that's her primary ministry. But what she's doing is she's leveraging what God has already put in her as gifts and as passions for the gospel. So she's not just doing fashion for the sake of fashion. She's doing it to get into those pockets of the world and preach Jesus, right? So she's going to dance studios to, to meet people to preach Jesus. And so that is, the, 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 a, lot, a lot has kind of changed in our, in our modern world where you don't, like, we think about these missionaries, we think about just a person that's gonna go be a church planner, and that is true and right. But what that church planner needs is, is people to come and just be normal, everyday church people with them in these foreign countries, right? So here's the deal God's brought the nations to Berlin. Right, like she's coming in contact with all kinds of people from all different nations. And there's all kinds of these global cities around the world. So you may think, well, I don't know a foreign language. I don't know, the, I, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm don't have like a ministry degree. Well, Listen, if you're a nurse, if you're a photographer, if you're an accountant or what, like God may call you to go and do those things in some foreign country and be a part of a church plant. It's crazy. So if you have more questions about that, like I just don't want, I want to know, I want you to know that, that that's how God works. He calls people like you to places like that. So, you can support her. You can ask more questions about how you can get involved. But we need to know that it is the church's responsibility to reach the nations. We need to move on. So, uh, verses seven through nine, Paul goes on to say, For I do not, I don't want to just see you now and just passing. I hope to spend some time with you. So, you hear, you hear his preference, you hear his passion. He wants to, he loves these people. Don't you think about how hard it would be? I hear people, I, I, often I hear people say, You know what? If it wasn't for the journey, I'd leave, I'd leave Illinois. But they're like, I just love this church. I just want to be here, right? Listen, that's praise God for that. Like we should feel that. Like this, you should be connected here to where you should feel it. If you weren't around your church people, that's what Paul's saying. He's like, I long to be with you. I want to spend some time with you. I don't want to just blow in, pick up the offering, and go somewhere else. He wants to be there, and he wants to be there now. You'll see this in many of his letters. He longs to be with his people. But you know what? He's going to lay his preference down for the sake of the kingdom. And that's what he's going to say. For I don't want to just see you in passing. I want to spend some time with you. Verse 8. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Because God's given me a wide door for effective work. Um, and there's a lot of adversaries. So what we see here is Paul is, is laying down his preferences. And, and his preferences are put in submission to God's kingdom advancement. Listen, that is not just Paul's calling. That is all of our calling. To lay down our preferences our desires for comfort, for security, we lay it all down for the sake. We lay it all in submission to his kingdom being advanced. He longs to be there. Uh, and you might think that, you know, Paul's like, he's this missionary dude. He just wants to keep going, going, going. Like, you might think that he's like the guy that when he gets someplace, he's ready to go to the next place. And, and there may be some of that in him, but what I think what he's saying is here, much like you and I, like, he is drawn to comfort. He's drawn to security. He's drawn to what he knows. But God has called him out of that. And so what does he do? Does he do what he wants or does he do what God's called him to do? Which is what God's called him to do. Right, and so, so our desires for whatever, right, our preferences, our, our comfort, our security, have to be put in submission to God's kingdom advances. So too often, I know it's about myself, I know this to be true about so many of us, like too often we dismiss opportunities for ministry just because we don't see any way that we could with all that we have going on. Okay, so often you hear about a compelling ministry opportunity and you're like, man, that is great. I just don't see how I could with all that I have going on or fill in the blank right that, that that is so common for us to 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 think through that right when we hear about opportunities to share the gospel to to be missional to bring people into our home to serve in an organization like Cross Recovery to be a recovery partner and mentor with somebody that's trying to get their life back on track what a what a ripe field for somebody that's just longing for help to be able to come in and be a friend to them and walk with them and like Diamond just shared, those opportunities to share Jesus are going to be teed up for you because that person is wounded in his longing, right? What a, listen, here's what I'm saying. God has given us a wide open door for ministry here in Southern Illinois. How do I know? Because this place is broken. There's broken homes everywhere. There's kids that need homes. There's parents who are trying to get their kids back. There are parents who are struggling to make ends meet. There are single moms. There are people struggling all over the place. There are people in recovery all over the place. That's a wide open door for ministry, church. But we dismiss it often because we go. I just don't see how I could. I I don't don't see how I could. I I don't have the time. But here's what I want. Here's what I want to challenge you with. Have you put your entire life on the table before God and asked Him to reorder it? Here's what I mean by that. So often we think about what we could do. We're just considering our existing margin, right? We think about all that our life already has in place, and we're like, well, you know, I've got. I got, like, Tuesday evenings open, and then Sundays are, there's some flexibility, you know? Like, I, I got a little bit of money left over or whatever, and I, okay, God, what, what can you do with that? What, what can I do with this, this margin? Here's what I got, Lord. Man, what a, what a disproportionate and really spiteful response to the gospel of Jesus who gave it all for us to say, hey, here's what I got, Lord, what can you do with it? Right? Here's, what, here's what Paul is calling us to do as Christians is to lay all of our life before God on the table. right In the form of like a blank check, just saying, okay, Lord, here it is. You write it how you want it to go. You tell me. You tell me. What should my priorities be? How do I reorder this thing to serve you? Because our preferences have to be laid in submission to the advancement of God's kingdom. Moving on. Verse 10. It says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace so that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Here's what Paul, I think, wants us in, in 2,000 years later to get from that, is we need to be a people. God's people need to be, his churches need to be a people who encourage, support, and develop new young leaders. Okay, God's people should be a place that encourages, supports, and makes space for new leaders to be developed. Well, you might say, you know, that might seem obvious to you, but I want you to think about the cost that actually comes with that, how that plays out. You might say, well, why would they despise Timothy, right? Why does Paul need to warn him against that? Is Timothy a jerk? No, we, we know from other passages, like, Timothy's a really beloved young minister that Paul entrusts a ton of gospel work to. You know why they probably would despise Timothy? Because he's not Paul. And he's not Apollos. He's not Peter. You see what I'm getting at? Paul's addressed that earlier in 1 Corinthians. We develop in, in today's world, we develop a preference for our preachers, our pastors, our teachers, the ones that we like. Right? We chose that church because that pastor was there. We chose, we listen on podcast to that one, and we don't really want to, you know. And so what Paul is saying is like, listen, when he gets there. He's gonna do ministry and, and he's not gonna be like me. He's not gonna be like Apollos. But you know what? Don't despise him. Encourage him. Don't let him feel anything other than support. Put him at ease among you. Why? Because he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Paul's saying, don't hold me, don't hold him in comparison to me. Know that God's called him to the ministry just like he's called me. And he might preach different, he might teach different, he might have a different way of approaching, you know, leadership. But you know what? God's called him to it, so support him in it. Encourage him. Develop him. Be intentional with that. Listen, this tension is made increasingly harder by today's media platforms. Like, we have access to world-class speakers at our fingertips. And that is a good thing. But it can also have a negative effect, right? Because then we expect anybody who God calls to, to be able to preach like John Piper, Tim Keller, David Platt, right? Fill in the blank, right? And, and we hold them up to these guys, Matt Chandler, and we're like, you know, well, you know, he didn't really make me laugh or he didn't really, whatever. whatever. Well, listen, Paul's saying, no, no, no. Like, God's called him to the same work as me, so support him, encourage him. And this, this tension, I, I, I was actually having a conversation recently after our, our students went to Snowbird. So Snowbird is a camp that I, I took students to years ago when I was in, in youth ministry, and I've gotten to know and love the, the, uh, the, the main pastor out there, Brody. And Brody's a fantastic, energetic, funny, passionate speaker. And much of Snowbird's impact has been built around his personality, but you know what I appreciate about Brody is that he's not about building his own kingdom. He's about building the kingdom. And he knows that one day his presence will no longer be a part of Snowbird, but he wants Snowbird to continue on. So you know what he has to do? He's got to develop other leaders. He's got to give them the platform. He's got to give them the chance to speak and teach. And so some of our folks were talking about, well, you know, it, it wasn't the greatest. We had these other guys teaching other, you know, and it, what? we really just wish Brody had been there the whole time. And, and, and listen, I get that. I, I feel the same way. But you know what? What? What's the cost of that? So if we continue to say, no, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, what happens when this guy gets run over by a bus? Or when this guy falls into sexual immorality and is no longer part of the church, right? What happens whenever this guy gets taken out in whatever way we want the church to continue on? So what do we have to do? We have to develop intentionally, pursue, develop, encourage, make space for young leaders, okay? That's what Paul's saying. Timothy's coming at you. Encourage that dude. Make sure he's supported. Make sure he does not get despised. Verse 12. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, this is a guy, if you know from the earlier parts of uh, 1 Corinthians, that many people were big fans of Apollos already. He had his own following there at the church. Paul had to straighten this out, saying, no, 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 it's not this whole deal. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. I follow Jesus. No, no, no. We all follow Jesus. These are his under shepherds and get over it. If it's not your favorite pastor preaching, get over it. We're looking to Jesus, not these people. So Paul, Apollos is is kind of a stud that people like him. But he hasn't been able to come to him. So Paul's addressing this pain point. He says, listen, about Apollos, I told him, I, I encouraged him, hey, you should go back to Corinth whenever you can. Right? And these other brothers are going, you should go back to Corinth. But Apollos, it wasn't in the Lord's will at that time. God had other work for him. We don't get those details. But it says, hey, it wasn't his will, meaning it wasn't God's will for him. And he'll come to you as soon as he has opportunity. What do we learn from that church? We need to be willing to let go of, for the sake of the kingdom, be willing to let go of our best and brightest leaders and preachers. For the sake of the kingdom, we as God's people should hold in an open hand our favorite preachers, pastors, and teachers. Why? Because God may have a purpose for them elsewhere. He may call them elsewhere, right? And if we get totally discouraged and leave the church because God, you know, sent this person away or called this person, whatever, then we've, we've, we have the wrong perspective, we have the wrong foundation, and we're missing the point. He says, listen, you got to be willing to give up your best and brightest. God calls us to plant a church. You know what? We're not going to send the JV. right? We're going to send our best. We're going to ask you guys to, like, that's, that's how this goes. We, we, we look at ministry and, and advancing the kingdom. Well, we need people who are going to do that work. So he's saying, listen, Apollos, he'll come when he can, but you're going to have to be willing to let him go. Uh, verse 13 and 14 we taught last week so I'm going to skip that verse 15 he says now I urge you brothers you know the household of Stephanus and, and they were the first converts in the area and they've They've had to devote. They've already devoted themselves, he says, to the servants and the saints. So be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. What is he talking about? The best that we can interpret in the other commentaries that I check is it, it seems as though Stephanus was one of the, obviously he was one of the first converts and he became one of the elders that Paul appointed uh, as an overseer, as a worker, a laborer there at the church of Corinth. And so Paul's saying, hey, listen, when it comes to your elders, like they, God's brought them there. He's put them there. And if they're serving joyfully with the right motive, then you should joyfully and right and 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 gladly follow and support them. So elders, so the, the point is gladly follow pure hearted elders. Gladly follow pure hearted elders. Well, the reason I put it that way is it's cause not that elders are above like examining It's not that elders... If elders are in sin, they should be called out for that sin. There's special provisions for that. It shouldn't be taken lightly. That's a whole other sermon, but there's special provisions for that. But it doesn't say, hey, let them do what they want. No, no, no. It says it should be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And then if it is proven, they should be you know, told in front of the church so that the whole church could stand in fear. So this is not something that anybody should enter into lightly. But when they do... Let, they're pure-hearted, like, follow them gladly. It means you're not trying to challenge them and tear them down and, and undercut them and expose them as, you know, they're, they're really not the best teacher or preacher or, you know, come at them from a side angle or whatever. No, no, no. He says, listen, you know these guys. There's, here's what I think probably happening, and this is just speculation on my part, because Corinth was all about good preachers, pastors, te- Like, anybody that could talk good got exalted in Corinth, right? So this was a part of the culture, was to be able to give a good talk. Here's what I bet. I bet there's people that have a, a really, they're, they're really good at speaking, they're really good at teaching, but they haven't been asked to be elders because they don't meet the other qualifications. And so I bet they're coming at, they're kind of picking at the other elders. They're picking at them, trying to expose them. This guy, he doesn't know his theology. This guy, he doesn't know. Paul's saying, listen, you know Stephanus. He was one of the first converts, and God set him aside for this. He's devoted himself, him and his family, has devoted himself to the servants of the state service of the saints. So be subject to such as these. And every fellow worker and laborer, so evidently there's a thing with, with Stephanus particularly, but he's saying, hey, uh, the other fellow workers, laborers that God's put in, in place over you, I'd be subject to them, gladly follow them, come alongside, support, and, and let's do mission work together see that's when we get in this consumer mindset it's about me that's when we're going to try to tear down right that's when we're going to try to pick out well I want this pastor or well he didn't really you know he, he's not really my favorite the way he teaches or, or preach he kind of lost me he went too long didn't go long enough he says too many words he doesn't tell enough jokes whatever right we get in our mind what we want and we start to criticize and we get in this posture of I'm the consumer I want to make sure I'm getting the product I want and if I don't I'll walk and get another product somewhere else listen that's not church that's ain't church I don't know what it is. It's some business messed up stuff, but it ain't church. Okay? So let's not do that. We're the people of God. He's called us elders here to, to, to serve humbly. And listen, you call us out. You, 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 you examine us when needed, but, but listen, let's, let's do ministry together. That's what Paul's saying. Let's do ministry together. This guy's trying to do ministry. He's, he's given his life to serve the church. Don't pick at him. Don't bite him. Don't bring him down. Don't, don't, don't posture yourself that way. we got a kingdom mindset. Kingdom mindset. Let's go forward. Let's do ministry together. Verse 17. <clears throat> he says, I rejoice at the covenant of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. All those guys have an extra syllable on their name. I want to take it off. It seems awkward, but that's who they are. So because they have made up for your absence and they've refreshed my spirit as well as yours, give recognition to such people. Here's what, those three guys, they took the Corinthians letter to Paul. Okay. So as I said, Paul planted the church at Corinth. He moves on. He's in Ephesus and they're like, Hey, we've got questions for Paul. We need to hear from Paul. So they, they write a letter, all these questions, and they send these three guys to go and hang out with Paul in Ephesus and give him the letter. And then they stay while Paul writes a response. So weeks, months, I don't know. Paul's writing a response. He's, he's prayerfully formulating this, this, this letter that we now have as scripture and then they're going to take it back. So Paul's saying, hey, man, this has been awesome. It's been awesome to have these guys here. They've refreshed my soul. They've refreshed, they're going to refresh your soul when they get back. Like This is, was a good move to send these people to this on this trip. Here, here's, we could talk a lot about so many things here. Here's the point I want to make. I think short-term missions is a good thing. What I mean by that is the church sending people to go and encourage the missionaries that are on the ground, doing long-term work, the church sending short-term missionaries to go and support them, uh, refresh them, pour into them, and advance the work they can, that they're doing in any way they can, that's a good thing. There's a lot of debate. Many of you haven't read it or don't care. But in the church world, there's a lot of debate of the effectiveness of short-term mission trips, meaning like one to four weeks. Is it effective? You know, and, and, and if I just say, if you're just parachuting in and doing ministry for a minute and then leaving with no church there on the ground, that's not a good, that's not effective. But if there's people trying to start a church, laboring to get a church planted, or an existing church there that you come in spend some time with and encourage and support, that's a good deal. That's a really good deal. So we've got Diamond. We've got another uh, missionary family that's out there on the board um, that, that we support and, and want to take trips to. COVID has made that, along with everything else, really difficult. As soon as we can, though, we're going to try to do that. Hopefully we can go see Diamond before she comes back home. But regardless, that's going to be a part of our church culture. We, we were, it was kind of heavy when I first came in. And then we, we kind of, I felt called to like, establish a more firm ministry here. But we're going to continue to do short-term mission trips to support those that are on long-term assignments in foreign countries. And so that's, that's I think, what Paul, is, that's what we can learn from verse 17 and 18 is Paul was really refreshed by that. As the long-term missionary, as the church planner, he was refreshed when a, when a small team went to visit and encourage him. Um, verse 19. <clears throat> Other churches are partners, not competition. Verse 19 says, The churches of Asia, they send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla Together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Here is what he's saying: um, Other churches, they're not our competition; they're our partners. Things have gotten weird in the last two thousand years in some ways, right? You think about then; there wasn't like First Baptist of Corinth and and you know First United Methodist of Corinth and Presbyterian of Corinth and. You know, Second Baptist of Corinth, the Third Baptist of Corinth, the Fourth—you know—that that didn't exist. There was like the people who followed Jesus at Corinth, right? That was it. And I'm not saying it's a bad—it's it, a good thing that we have multiple churches. We need more churches, not less churches. But what's happened in our weird culture is we begin to see churches as competition. Right? Maybe you left that church, maybe you came here or whatever, and we want to see our church grow and and, and, you know, and not then We kind of grin a little bit when we hear this church is not doing it. Well, I don't know. There's all sorts of dynamics that play out there. But the big idea is that our, our fellow churches, they're our partners, not our competition. Here's the deal. We're not in this to gain a market share of existing Christians. That is not our goal. What I mean by that is there's already Christians out there that are going to come to church. And our goal is not to to be the coolest and the funniest and the most hip so that we can get those existing Christians to come to our party. Nope, I'm not in for that. I'm not giving my life to that. There's other churches that do cooler and better services than us, just a spoiler alert. I'll help you find them. Right? But God has called us to a particular mission. Right To get in the nitty-gritty to the broken parts of our world and our community, to plug in relationally and to push back the darkness. And we partner with other churches to do that. We don't. We're not competing with them. That's why we're working with First Church of God to do that remote learning deal. right Do I care who gets the credit? No, it's just like Jesus gets the credit. Right? That, that's what we want. We want people to meet Jesus. We praise God that other churches are preaching Jesus. Maybe you know something about their motive and it makes it really hard for you to root for them. You know what? Paul talks about in Philippians, he says, basically, I'm going to paraphrase this, but he says, listen, if they're preaching it out of vain, like their own motivation, their own their fault, like, it's, it's so, what? I'm just going to have to rejoice that the gospel's being preached. Whether it's out of pure motives or not, I'm just going to rejoice that the gospel's being preached and that the Lord will sort out the rest. So we rejoice when other churches grow. We rejoice when other churches come into town. We got a church plan here. We don't want to see them as a threat. We don't see them as a partner. How can we help you? Somebody bought us new seats a couple years ago, new chairs that you're sitting in. It's awesome, right? Your butt feels better than they used to. You know what we did with our old chairs? We gave them to other churches. We had a chance to sell them. There's a business town, wanted to buy them. I so, said, yeah, I'd really, really give them to another church. Somebody gave these to us, let's give them to another church. So what we did. We gave them to two other churches. Those churches didn't have seats, now they do, right? Small deal. That's, what, that's how we want to posture things. We've got something, they need it, let's, let's give it to them. Let's support them, let's encourage them, right? That's how we, we need to see things. And then also we need to see one another as such, right? He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. That's been confusing to many, not COVID safe, just so you know, right? But he says, when you come in, like greet one another with a holy kiss. That's a cultural thing. There's been through, there's a lot written on that whole deal. It it doesn't translate to us. What he's saying is this is a greeting that that, that signifies, hey, we're a part of the same family. We've all been reconciled. We're laying down our preferences. I'm not here to compete with you, like, Hey, we've all been purchased by the blood of Jesus, and we're embracing one another. That, that walls that used to exist, that we didn't hang out with each other outside of here, we're not in the same social circles, we're not in the same economic class, we're not in the same skin color, whatever. When you we, when we come into the family of God, you've got all broken down and, and laid aside. Because why? Well, we've been all been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus. So embrace one another, love one another, think the best about one another. Believe the best, pursue one another. Verse 21 and 22, Paul says, I write this greeting with my own hand. What's he talking about? Well, what we probably can deduce is that Paul has been probably um, dictating this to somebody else, to a scribe of sorts that was writing down this letter as he's going through these responses. Right up to this point, it's been somebody else writing down what Paul has said. It's Paul's words, Paul's leading, but, but somebody else has been dictating it. And at this point, he, he takes the pen in his own hand and says, hey, I write this greeting, this, this salutation, this end of the book, I'm writing it with my own hands. <clears throat> and he says this. this. So this is sort of a, something Paul wants you to know. No debate. Paul wants it to be clear. This is his words, his greeting, and he says, this is quite a strange verse actually, he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Come, Lord Jesus. What's he saying? If you're here, if you're at a church, you're doing church work, you're part of a church, and you have any ambition, any desire that is not for Jesus, if you're doing this for any other reason, you're here to get yourself noticed, to get yourself on a platform, to promote your, you know, Whatever, and that's a, that's a common thing, has been throughout history, where, where people would you know, go to church and identify themselves with, with church so that their business would be you know, viewed better by other people, right? Like that, that happens. I'm not saying that's you all, but Paul's saying, listen, if anybody doesn't have a love for the Lord, this is not just an innocent thing you're doing. If you're using the church to advance your own agenda, this is not just some innocent, oh, well, it's a part of it. He says, no, no, let you be accursed, uh, meaning you're on a dangerous path, you need to repent now because the king is not to be trifled with. The king will not be used for your own agenda. So we need to examine our agenda. We need to examine what are we here for? What are we hoping for? If we're seeking anything other than loving Jesus, Paul has stern warnings for us here. He says, let them be accursed. So all of that is to say, listen, church, we should be a kingdom-minded people a kingdom-minded people. Meaning, we have been bought by the blood of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus has been spilt for the nations. So we don't just sit contently by, glad that Jesus bought us, and good luck with the rest of that. No. Paul's going to say in his next letter to Corinthians, in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, that the love of Christ compels us. That because of the way that Christ loved us, we are compelled, meaning there's something moving us to be reconciliated, to be ministers, ambassadors of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means you take what God has given you, where He's placed you, the gifts, the people around you, the place you live, the, gift, the, the work you do. You, t- you take it all and you put it on the table before the Lord and say, Okay, Lord, I want to be used for your kingdom. How do you want to do that? How do we do it, Lord? How do we do it? Let's let's do it together. That's what that means. And so, but we don't just do it because it's, you know, what he said. Like, it's not just this obligatory, okay, well, you know, I got to pay him back. You know, he gave me this really cool thing called salvation, so I got to pay him back. No, no, no. No, Paul says, listen, verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. What compels us? It's his grace. What does that mean? It means we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it now. We didn't deserve it when we got saved before, and we're never going to deserve it. But you know what? He gives it. He gives it. Why? Through his grace. What does that mean? It means he didn't have to love us. We certainly didn't deserve it, but he gives it anyway. Paul ends by saying, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. May it all be wrapped up in that. It's all about Jesus. It's all because of Jesus, and our only hope is in Jesus. Church, as we come to a close here, I want you to get your communion elements. If you don't have them, there's some out in the lobby, but I want you to grab them with me, and I want you to... I want you to look, take that wafer out of the top, and I want you to behold it. I want you to to break it, and I want you to think of Jesus. I want you to feel, I want you to, before you eat, before you pretend, I want you to think about the grace of Jesus. I want you to think of yourself standing before Jesus. If you're familiar with the Isaiah passage, Isaiah chapter 6, he's brought into a vision of the throne room of of the Lord. And man, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's glory upon glory. And you know what? He doesn't go, man, I'm glad I'm here. Let's get to work, Lord. You know what he does? He hits his face because he says, Woe is me. Why? I'm a man of unclean lips. He knows immediately he doesn't belong there. He doesn't deserve, he does not deserve to be in the presence of the Lord. And he just knows he's going to be consumed, annihilated, by the, the holy fire of, of the glory of the Lord. But then all of a sudden, here comes this angel, this seraph, and he takes a coal out of the burning altar, and he touches Isaiah's lips. And there's so much symbolism in that, but what, what, what's happening is, is he is cleansing him. He is clean, he's pardoning him of his sins so that this sinful, unworthy man can now stand in the presence of the Lord and receive what the Lord is about to give to him, which was a mission which was a calling on his life. I want you to picture yourself standing before the Lord. If you don't know, you don't deserve to be there. The Bible says we're all sinners. All of us. Not just me. Not just the really, really, really bad ones of you, but no, no, like all of us are sinners. Meaning we don't get to stand in the midst of a holy God. We're filthy. Well, I've been pretty good. It says your goodness, your righteousness, it's like filthy rags. Doesn't matter, doesn't count. Death. That's your sentence. That's what you get. Well, Lord, I did this. No, nope. death. What about this? Death. Well, I was better than that guy. Mm, death. That's what you get. The wages of sin, it's death. But there's good news. You need to feel that first. Christmas is only good news when you realize you need a Savior, okay? You need to feel that first. When you, feel it, when, you re- when you feel the weight of your sin, now I want you to look at the bread, and I want you to hear Jesus saying, hey, hey, this is my body broken for you. Go ahead, take and eat. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your body to be consumed by the wrath of God in our place. Thank you, Jesus. And then he, he says, hey, hey, we're not done. Look at this cup. This cup, I want you to look at it. This is my blood. Your sin cost me my blood, but I love you and I came to give it freely. Not because you've deserved it, not because you earn it. Because I love you. This is grace. He says, take and drink. It is out of that sacrifice that we become a kingdom people. It is in that moment that Isaiah then is able to hear from the Lord. And the Lord says, I got a mission, I got a message, but who shall go and who shall I send? And you know what? Isaiah has nothing to tell the Lord about how busy he is. He has nothing to tell the Lord about how much he's already committed to or how much he's got going on or how much money he doesn't have or how he's not sure about how his family would work in that. You know what Isaiah does? Here I am, Lord. You send me. For what could I bring? What could I offer you other than my whole life? Here I am. Send me. Church, there's wide open doors for ministry here. There's families in need of help. There's kids in need homes. There's addicts struggling toward toward sobriety. There's there's your coworkers that appear to be okay, that inside are contemplating suicide, that inside are empty and hopeless. And you know what they need? Jesus! He's the hope, right? And you have him. Let's not keep him to ourselves. Let's be a kingdom, people. God, help us with that. Jesus, we need you to wreck us. We need you to... Destroy our agendas for the sake of being able to seek out yours. For the sake of being able to live out yours. Make us into a kingdom, people, Lord. Use us for your name, for your glory. Across Marion, Williamson County, Southern Illinois, the United States, and to the ends of the earth. May your name be known. And you use us as you see fit. Us individually and us collectively, corporately as a church. Help us, Lord. Move in this place. Have your way. Give us the faith and the courage to lay ourselves down right now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.